Welcome back to the Don't Write That Book podcast, where you can learn how to write your bestseller and own your authorship. Follow along with us as we give you an insider's view of the book industry. Now, here are your hosts, myself, Mike Michalowicz, and AJ Harper. Thanks for joining us today. We're going to be talking about that second edition of a book. You already have a book out there, and what about making a new version of it? Should you do it? Should you not? How do you go about it? All that stuff. I'm joined in the studio with my co-host, A.J. Harper. One thing I admire about you, A.J., that uh, maybe I've never shared with you before, is that we dislike the same people. <laughs> what? <laughs> we dislike the same people. In the industry oh. uh, that we're in, there's certain individuals who are not out to be of service. Uh, at least that's my opinion. And uh, it's funny because when we talk about people like that, the people that are intentionally putting themselves in the position of authority, they're intentionally putting themselves on a pedestal. Um, I think they're taking advantage of the reader. I Whatever. I have tons of thoughts around this. But it's just funny. <laughs> without saying the names, we know the same names. And we say the same yeah. names. It's like, oh. But what I like about that, too, is we have a common enemy. I'm not saying they're bad people. I just think they're going about it in a bad way, at least for how we approach things. And, and I mean, not really enemy. Just we don't want to. Uh, we don't want to behave like them. Correct. Yeah, we're not out to get them. No, no, there's no, 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 no active no. attempts toward anything. <laughs> no, 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 no. But, but you but know, you're saying that, and you don't actually know my stories. What do you mean? So we dislike the same people, but you, I don't tell you why I dislike them. Oh no, no, because you have some personal experiences with those folks, mm-hmm. and I admire that so much about you that you have a relationship that that's expired but you honor the agreements of those relationships yes into perpetuity correct yeah so i, I do not know the stories um so i think i think it's good if you if something if an author rubs you the wrong way thought leader whomever you don't feel like they're being genuine or you know something else to use that as a fuel you know, totally. like you talk about in Get Different and having the power of a nemesis. Yes, that's the word, not enemy, <laughs> nemesis. And it's an ideology sometimes, most of the time, or it's a personification of that ideology. I've been at conferences and events where people come up and say, hey, man, I know who your nemesis is. It's you know, blah, blah, blah. And like, is that it? <laughs> no, not telling. Not telling. Yeah, I'm not. No, and that's not the game. And some of these other individuals and these ideologies collect a massive gathering of followers and constituency. They are being of service to a group of people. It's just not the people that I want to serve. That's it right there. Yeah. Yeah. So that's your introduction. I mean, your introduction would just be, I'm just going to riff on it. That's what happens. You introduce me and I say, okay, let's talk about that. This is what happens to me, everybody. I quit ghostwriting. I was a ghostwriter for 10 years. I quit. It's like 20... 15 maybe yeah it takes about a year and a half to two years to get out of it you kind of like the mob <laughs> actually I don't they know keep th- pulling you back actually in. i don't know too much about the mob but it, because you're in writing contracts right yeah. so it's not like you can just say see ya you kind of just don't accept new work and then you finish your existing contracts mm-hmm. mike is the only person i continue to work with our relationship is less Ghost. I mean, in the beginning, it was like ghostwriting, but we've evolved into this creative partnership, which we do talk about in a different episode. So I don't qualify it as the same, but I rem- I called you up and I said, I'm retiring. 
and there was a little bit of nervousness on your part. Yes, yes. But then I said, and by the way, I'm not at retirement age, just letting you know. <laughs> um, but I said, I'm going to, I still want to work with you. Yeah. What happens to me, though, is people come up and say, still to this day, I, I, I would like to hire you, even though I don't take yes. private clients. Yeah. And I don't ghostwrite. Yeah. Because they want to have some duplicate arrangement. But the reason I quit was because of all of that integrity. And the reason I kept working with you is because you have integrity. Thank you. And that's where I'm going with this story. I actually had one person just say, why Mike? <laughs> like, just tell me why Mike? Because they just, w they don't, they're mad that you have it and they can't have it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. look, okay. Um, I'm not going to list all the reasons, but really inside, that's what, it, first of all, there's a great partnership. Yeah. But it's mostly the integrity piece that disliking the same people, just because of our value, we have a shared value system. Yeah. Is really, I think, probably a more positive way to say it. Yeah. We agree on the things that matter. We have the same ethical code. And then also, we, I think, bring each other up in our values. Yeah. You know, a thing that's interesting about us, and I'm, I'm welling up now remembering this, as I was reading All In, we rally against this concept of culture as a top-down, this is the way we act. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're hoping to inspire community. Community being a collective of people, and there's a common value system that gets created from that, but you're picking very different people. You and I would have not been friends in high school, I don't think. Like, I mean, no, man. I was, right? like, I was we, like a goth girl. Yeah, we've never seen each other. I never went to a football game. What are you talking about? Right, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And so we would have not known each other. But I'm like, oh, we are the definition of community. Yeah. We've created this common value system that it's so rooted in who we are, but we're we're very different people. Yeah. And man, does it freaking work. It works. And I think that's what you talk about in All In is so beautiful. It's not culture. It's not this top-down mandate. Yeah. Yeah. It it's, it's born of the community, and that's when it's beautiful. Yeah. It's yeah. working. Yay. Yay. Well, let's talk about second editions. Um, there are three books I want to bring up in this conversation, stories or experiences. One is Profit First. And Profit First came about because originally it was a self-published book. It was rejected by the publishing house, which was Penguin at the time, who had just a pumpkin plan. They passed. They passed. And I didn't. I said, F it. I'm not going to shop it out. Um, we, I was No, but we were working on it. We we did write a proposal. Yep, we were, and we were connected with Lisa Demona at the yep. time, who was a very famous agent. Nobody was enthused, including Lisa. Yeah, no one really got it, and I'm like, this is the biggest thing. I don't get it. Um, which actually speaks to when a community, um, established uh, organizations, perhaps is a better word, like traditional publishers and stuff, don't get it. It's because they are in their routine. This is something that's breaking the norm. So that's. Could be, not always, but could be an indicator of something great because they don't get it. Um, so we self-published. Penguin came back said, hey, we really actually think we should have published this. Oops. Oops. Here's, here's some money. <laughs> it forced us to do a second edition. Right. We had to. It was necessary. Yeah, we had to. By the contract. And the sales uh, almost quadrupled when that second edition came But we came took out. it as an opportunity to just... Build it, rebuild it from the studs. Yeah, and we're going to talk about that. Like That's a true second edition. It was a, a breakdown build-up again. It was a demo of the original and a rebuild of a far superior structure. We did the same thing with Clockwork. Now, Clockwork was different in that it was already with Penguin Random House. It was already selling well. We determined, I determined, 
that there's an opportunity to make this even better. There were some missing components, and I'm going to tell you how you find the missing components and so forth. And uh, same thing, tore it down to the studs, so much so that Penguin, Noah didn't get it. He's like, oh, you know, can you get the manuscript in two months or something? <laughs> it was like an absurd turnaround time. Yeah. But he was expecting just a little fresh paint. Yeah. You know, um, Mark, no, no, this is a f- brand new book. And it was writing a brand new book. Uh, perhaps harder in certain ways, too. We might have made it harder on ourselves. But it's a better book in the end. It's hands down a better book. The interesting thing is the sales impact wasn't there in this one. It didn't four times. My best estimate is it's a break even. It's selling just as well, maybe a little bit better, but it's hard to attribute it to a rewrite. That said, you have other positives that came out of that. And that's the biggest benefit. So we have a derivative company. That's not the right word. We have a, a company that represents it called Run Like Clockwork. It's a better tool set. The people who read the new version of Clockwork get the system better. So it's working better. It's a better system. It just isn't selling on a volume basis better. The book. Yeah. And then the last book is The Pumpkin Plan. And why I wanted to bring it up is that doesn't hasn't been revised and expanded. I've approached Penguin saying, I think I want to do this. Um, I've softly approached them, and they've softly said no. And the reasoning is it's selling too well, if that's the right words. It's a great backlist book and just keeps chugging along. So they are hesitant, in my opinion, to put the resources in from their side of doing a, a revised and expanded edition. But you brought up an interesting point, if you don't mind sharing that again. About pumpkin plan? Yeah, yeah. Uh, specifically that at a certain point, if something's selling well, you need to refresh it. At least that's right. my Yeah, so, you know, all of this is a case-by-case basis. There's no, you know, there's no set. Here's exactly when you do your second edition. But if you've got a book that's starting to fade because it needs updates, right? It's been selling well, right. but now it can't compete anymore because it, it seems dated. If it seems dated, then you've got to do a refresh to keep the sales going. Yeah. And we do a good job of ensuring that books don't get dated. But there are some books that can't help but be yeah. dated just because of the nature of the topic. Exactly. Or the industry changes. Like Prop yeah. First, at a certain point, banks will be different than they are today. Just like they change over 50 years, they may change again. So uh, let's talk about what's significant about a, sig- uh, a second edition. Why is it important? So if you just have minor changes, so let's say you got a couple things wrong and you want to fix them. You mean or- like typos and stuff? typos or if you just want to add a couple little just a small little things that's barely noticeable unless somebody memorized your whole book they would never know you're not going to do a second edition Mm -hmm. and a second edition doesn't mean a new print run right so there's some confusion around that Mm -hmm. you might have that's not the same thing as a second printing or a third printing that's how many books are printed but it's still the same first edition and let me add to that in a new print run it's not just the physical print book. It's the audio book that can change and the ebook, And I can share a piece in of In a this. new edition, not a print run. Uh, it's a new edition. It's not a... No, no. If you make some minor changes, like you would need to change some words or something, is, that's called a new print run, right? Let's back up. Yeah. Now, just explain it. So here's the thing. Pr- a print run is how many books are printed the first time. Okay. It has nothing to do with if you're going to make changes. Okay. And sometimes people confuse a second printing with a second edition. Okay. A second printing might just be, this is, we're going to do a big big print run again. Okay. But what if I make a couple minor word changes? What's that called? Is, is nothing. It's, <laughs> it's called, called nothing. nothing. Okay. There's, yeah, you're just updating it based on the, the, the there's no nothing to note there. There's nothing that has to be announced. Right. Okay. Um, 
thanks for clearing that up in my head. So with Fix This Next, we had an opportunity to change a term to the business priority pyramid. And the power of this new term is it invokes a better understanding of the method. At any given time in a business, there is a singular priority. And the former term, which used the word hierarchy, people were interpreting as a ladder. So we changed it. But we changed it in the print book, in the Kindle, the ebooks, and in the uh, audiobooks. What's interesting is Fix This Next has had a bump in sales. Um, and it's sustained now since But you the just change. changed the term. We just changed the term a month and a half ago. So that is not a second edition. Yeah. No, it's not. Yeah. It's just a correction. And what's in the book, you'll see the, those numbers on the, um, I don't know what they call that page, where it says the printing publisher and the, the some of the copyright material and the legal words are in there. It says 10, 8, 6, whatever. Now you'll see the numbers removed. And every time they make those type of edits, they will actually remove one of those numbers so that you can compare an original print run with whatever context was in there, content. And the new one that has new content changed like these terms and so forth, you can tell the books are actually different in some minor way. Right. So for a second edition, you want significant changes. Yeah. And often you'll see it. It won't say second edition. It might just say for our books, for example, it says revised and expanded. Yeah. Okay. So, and, and what are the other terms you can use besides revised and expanded? Updated? I new and improved? Yeah. I mean, whatever. Yeah, you can choose any terms you want. Yeah. Um, and I invite when someone does that to put that in the title. So it's not just a flag on the book cover itself, but in the title, if you go to Amazon, for a period of time, it'll say clockwork, revised, and expanded. Because what happens is when you release the new revised and expanded edition, it gets a new ISBN. Yep. It's it's a new book. Yep. It just has the same title. So for the consumer, they may confuse it if they see the same book, same title, which one's the newer one. And so if you put it in the actual text title, Revised and Expanded, they can identify it immediately. It can also backfire on you if you just have a small amount. So with my when I had my publishing house and we published fiction, we had a really popular title, Not Your Sidekick. And then we created an anniversary edition. And the anniversary edition had additional content from the author. Mm. Those changes were so significant that they had to get a new ISBN. But uh, the problem is then you're wiping out the old... Reviews. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. That is a gut punch. It was sad. With Profit First, we lost, and we, we tried so hard, thousands of reviews with the self-published yeah. book. Because the first one's gone. That's, you know, you're not yeah. leaving them both up. Yeah. And, oh, man, that's tragic. So sometimes you get an idea, I'm going to do this new thing, but you need to consider the consequences. <laughs> yep. But you can link the books. Amazon provides this. I don't know on other portals. But if you go to Profit First, if you search Profit First in Amazon and look for the original book, which is now hard to find because it uses a algorithm. It has its own search engine optimization, if you will. But if you can find the old book, which was that piggy bank, you click on it. It says a new version is available, and it has a picture of the new book right under the original book. Mm. So the one th kind of saving grace here is those reviews st still stay with the original book, but this is a distinct and new book. So you are going to lose those reviews. But sometimes you have to pull down originals, so then you still lose them. Oh, I've never had to pull down an original. Clockwork, the original still out there. Profit First, the original still out there. H how do you pull down an original? If a publisher decides they don't want to have both. But what about used books? 
Because that's the problem with prop first. The, the You can't get them, but used books are still circulating. Yeah, but that has something to do with the publisher. But still listed on Amazon. They can list it. Oh, they okay, that's how they're doing it. They're listing it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, you also get a new cover, you, or at least you should do a new you cover. You should. Yeah. 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 How we do it is we make it a – there's a congruency to the original, so the design has similarities, but usually we use stark colors. Clockwork is a great example. We change the, the colors so it looks distinctly different. Profit First – was a radical change. It went from uh, a green and blue book to a white book. It went from uh, a, the core hero image being a piggy bank kind of cut up into pieces to uh, a income statement with the words profit first in huge text circled. Um, it worked extremely well. And I don't, I can't attribute to, to changing a book cover radically to having kind of this fluid but distinct difference makes a difference in sales. I, I just can't determine. Well, that. because we changed so many other things, it's hard to determine right. which was the which was the factor. Right. But definitely have a new cover so you don't confuse users. Another thing that was interesting too is past um, readers of the book often seem, at least in our cases, to buy the new book. They're a huge source for it. There's a fear saying, well if I come out of a revised and expanded edition, there's all these people that have the original, why would they want the new one? A good portion of them want the new one. Yeah, they want the update. They want the if it's update. a popular book and people want the update, uh, yeah. they'll just get it. When do you feel is the time to approach a revised and expanded edition? To I do mean, that for just what I said. If content needs to be updated. How, but, but what determines that? Can you dig in? Yeah, so uh, it's outdated, number one. Uh, it no longer holds true. Yeah. Facts have changed. Perspectives have changed. Um, that's an out, That's outdated content. And the whole book feels dated. If you're starting to hear from people, ah, it doesn't really apply anymore. That's not what's happening. Yeah. Everything's changed, right? Yeah. So, you know, if you've got a book that's talking about teams and you aren't, and the book just assumes everybody's in the office, mm -hmm. it's a little bit dated. We don't operate like that anymore. COVID changed it forever. There's hybrid work environments, more people are working from home. That's just how it is. You're going to be able to tell a book is dated. You know, there's cultural shifts, there's technology shifts, there's all sorts of things that make a book dated. Or if content needs to be improved is another reason, and so it's more useful for readers. Now, small improvements are always going to happen, but in the case of Clockwork, you knew through Run Like Clockwork with Adrian Dorenson that there would be really helpful improvements that yes. would make it easier so, you know, it's not about little tweaks. I would make the change. I would go ahead and do a second edition if you realize we really got to streamline this. and be Because ultimately you're trying to create a useful book for readers. That was uh, such helpful feedback. Because we have a service company behind the book, we have people actively doing the book, we get critical feedback on what's working what's not working. And with Clockwork, the most common feedback that I recall was business owners saying, I like the system, but, listen to the but part, uh, and in this case, the but was, I don't want my employees reading this because I'm taking a four-week vacation, or th th they'll see that I'm taking advantage of them, or they're running a sweatshop. I'm running a sweatshop here. That was the exact opposite. It was an empowerment book for employees, um, and in the process, the owner was was demonstrating their trust for employees by turning the business over to them, by taking a four-week vacation, removing themselves from the business so the business owners 
could um, some of the employees could show their propensity to expand and grow. And uh, when we learned that, um, that dictated we need to write the book to be inclusive of employees. So every single chapter now had an employee section. It was a massive improvement. That was a big change. Yeah, a massive. But improvement. also the steps were streamlined. We have fewer steps. Yeah, that's true in profit first too. Mm-hmm. That's true in everything we do. Uh, not just in, in doing revised and expanded, but whenever we're going through the editorial process, we're saying, how, how can we make this simpler, easier, more accessible? So it's kind of a similar process, but just on a grand scale when you well, do it's based on Narnie. what is actually happening with readers. And so if you know this is going to make a huge difference for future readers, yeah. that might be a reason to do a second edition. Yeah. Yeah. So and let's talk about proof from readers. Um, how do you collect that? Like, how do you get the feedback from people who are using your first version of the book so that you can integrate them into their stories into a second book? Well, you have it built in and with every book where you ask readers to reach out to you in the first chapter. Yeah. I think that's an effective way. Most, if you make it easy for people to contact you, you don't have to use that same method, but if you make it easy for people, then they will. They'll let you know. Yeah. Uh, you can also, you know, put stuff out on social and in your marketing where you're collecting stories and actively looking for that. People tend to follow authors they love. So even if they haven't emailed you, if you ask them to, they will. Yeah. You know, so I think you can request stories. But that's another reason to do the second edition is let's say you wrote a book. You know it works, but you don't have a ton of evidence. You have a little bit, mm-hmm. right? Now the book is out. Now you know it works because you've been hearing from readers. Now you have a way more, yes. right? Yes. Big old pot of gold there. Now you can weave in those stories. I think that straightens the book overall. We didn't update Profit First for that reason. We had to contractually. But we did take it as an opportunity to throw in a bunch of stories of people who had been using Profit First that came after reading the book. Yeah, we, we think with Profit First specifically, there's over 700,000 implementations of Profit First. It's probably more. It's hard to gauge, but that's where we're estimating. Well, when we wrote the very first book, the first day, it was just people who had read that Wall Street Journal article. It was people we tested out with. It was maybe 100, you know. Um, and so the perspective changes. One of the great awarenesses that didn't even make it into the second revising span edition, but now could make it into a third edition if we want to do it, is the celebration around tax distributions. It's greater than profit, which I could have never anticipated. In the book, the, the method is, you know, on a quarterly basis, there's this money reserved for your profit. You use it to celebrate. There's also money reserved on a quarterly basis to pay your taxes. And I was like, okay, that's mandatory, but who's going to celebrate that? What's interesting is there's that pe- people are like, for the first time ever, I'm not worrying about my tax bill. I get more relief about not worrying than getting extra money to to yeah, do something for sure yeah which i never for every reason didn't think about it but every at the end of every quarter the emails pour in saying hey i just pay my taxes i'm so excited <laughs> Woo-hoo. those are stories that could go into an updated expanded version could you imagine opening saying you know by the end of this book i suspect you'll be celebrating paying your taxes <laughs> no you know? i still wouldn't put it <laughs> yeah, in. yeah i wouldn't put that as an open <laughs> either that's pretty that's a bad move <laughs> thanks for, for sharing that um can, can you reinvigorate a, a book that's dying, or is the the brand, the title, is it too late to save a book that's kind of fizzling? I, mean, I think if you never really sold a lot of copies, I don't think a second edition is necessarily going to save you. I think you need to, yeah. you know, there's a lot of introspection and reflection that has to happen. Was yeah. that the right book? Is it truly of service? Do I need to up my marketing game? Those are the questions you need to ask. 
just throwing another version out into the void, I don't think is the solution. What about um, doing, but the belief that a second edition is an easier process. I, that's what I believed. You're, you're I mean, opinion. I guess it is. Maybe we're just weirdos. Do you think it is easier? No. I think, well, okay. You know, I think a, a second edition is an opportunity to look at every aspect of the book. Do I think people do that? I think a lot of times they don't. Yeah. And that's why I think it's not easier. So we're back to don't write that book. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. Don't take the easy way out with a second edition. Do your due diligence. If you're really going to do it, do it. Don't just say, well, let me just scuff this off, buff and polish. Yeah. Add a couple things. Here's an author's note. Here's an extra chapter. Yeah. Wah, wah. Really, does this still work for readers at the, in the same way? What can you do better? Yeah. So that's my view. But again, I'm, I'm probably a weirdo. I just, I hold people. Weirdos rule. Weirdos rule. Listen, I feel like let's be excellent in all things. Yeah. That's my view. Yeah, that's, I think that's the key. Clockwork, I believe, is 50% new text, like literal text. Like this. I can vouch for that, man. Yeah. That book was rough. That was a monster. So when people ask me, like, how much is new? I say it's 50% or more new text and 100% simplified. Because it's a reorganization of yeah. the existing stuff. You know, I, I read some from some other authors with popular books. They're revised and expanded. And to your point, it's like, I don't know if you've ever seen this in a movie. You watch a movie, and then they come out, and they say, uh, cut scenes. They put, kind of put the scenes in. <clears throat> My wife and I are, are huge fans of uh, Young Frankenstein. Oh, yeah. So there was a re-release of it where they had these scenes that ultimately got cut. The movie runs 10 minutes longer. Um and it's kind of cool seeing these little scenes, mm -hmm. but it actually starts hurting the story, and you understand why they cut it. Yeah, because they made a right decision in the first place. Yeah, and that's why some of these revised, expanded books I've read, um, it seems, sounds like they simply added back in stuff that they cut and shouldn't have been put back in. Or sometimes it's a note from the author, since yeah. I published this book, this is the experience, you know. Yeah. Look, if that's what you want to do, it's cool. But I think it's a worthy practice to consider... How can we make this book better? What happens, though, <laughs> is you end up, it's a little bit like uh, breaking up your book into puzzle pieces, dumping them out <laughs> yeah. all over the table, yeah, yeah. and then throwing away the picture. <laughs> yeah. it's, like, it's actually harder. I think it's harder the way we do it to do revised and expanded because it's a brand new book, but it you're also dealing with the old book. And so it, to me, it just takes more thinking yeah yeah i i agree um because right there's consideration of and you also have to pay homage to what you have um i think you gotta be very careful about throwing out concepts one of the things we did with profit first in the revised expanded edition is we removed the advanced level of profit first mm -hmm. so in the original there was a simple and advanced version um and by doing that modification the system became much more accessible. But also there's the challenge of explaining to people that you know there's no such thing as advancing yourself or being advanced, which was a, a attractive label for when someone got to that level. So you have to have those kind of dynamics and those considerations. Do you want to talk about how we did how we did what our process was? Yeah, of course, yeah. Lay it on me. Well, first we both read for each of these. Yeah. The very first step we 
took was to both read the book again. Yeah. Which might sound funny. Yeah. Uh, for me, I definitely need to read it again. But you, you're talking about it constantly when you're as you're marketing it. But I, we both had to read again. So I already already want to address this point. So you're right. I reread it again. How I did it was through audio. It's easy. <laughs> <laughs> Not me. I'm all about the post-its you, and the hard. Yeah, bag. I know. I know. <laughs> but I do have an additional perspective. Is I'm actively speaking on this. So clockwork. I've delivered hundreds of presentations on profit first. Probably over a thousand now. From, from virtual interviews and also, you know, on stage. What's interesting is, particularly the on stage presentations, is I start seeing how people respond in the moment to certain concepts. So when I come back to you, I say, here's some of the key observations I'm having. Um, the pumpkin plan, should we, I kind of want to do it now. <laughs> I kind of want to revise it now. I've been speaking on that one. That's my second most popular speech to Profit First. So Profit First, number two is the pumpkin plan. Number three is clockwork. You know what I'd rather do? I'm just saying this to you now. I've yeah. never said this to you. I'd rather, since since Penguins like, says, hey, no, we love our little golden, yeah. golden goose backlist of pumpkin plan. Not touching it. Yeah. I'd rather take a core concept of oh, pumpkin plan. Something that's, and then, oh, ex yeah. sexy. Yeah. And they expand on that. Because that, just let pumpkin plan be what it is. I got the concept. What is it? Client cloning. People wet their pants. Because how I said it on the stage, I say, right now think of your best client that you actively have. Who is it? Just imagine it. I say, imagine now having 10 of those exact clients or 100. How does that affect your business? And people are like, my life is forever served. You know, my company's exploding and growth. So be, yeah, so let's do a do deep dive. Everybody, we're just talking. This is the first time we're talking about it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> deep dive on client cloning. I love that. You know why that would work? That's what Profit First was. That's what Profit, Profit First was. was one tiny section. In Toilet Paper Entrepreneur. In Toilet Paper Entrepreneur. And there was so much feedback about it. We knew it had, and even when a publisher rejected it, a famous agent didn't want to wrap it. Yeah. You still said, I think it's the one. And yeah. we self-published. I don't know, man. I think instead of revamping, pick a core concept that's like the main thing. Yes. And go deep on it. And it can even be a shorter book. Yeah. Oh, my God. All right. Let's stop Client cloning. This. Yeah, let's go. Client cloning. We have to think of a good title. We'll don't think about it. But now we've outlined three books right now. I know. But, oh, my God, this one's so good, too. But we have, we have another book to take care of first. But, hey, everybody who's listening, you just heard me say that. You can do that for your own book. Maybe you're thinking, ah, I'm going to revamp it. But what if there's one idea or one framework or one chapter that everyone talks to you about? Yes. Could you go deeper on it? Maybe not Maybe not a 70,000-word book, but maybe a shorter book, but still just as valuable. And you get to say more about it. I love it. I uh, love it. Of course. Yeah, do a deep dive. Yeah, you know, the best books, in my opinion, the ones that you should write, write that book is the book that um, deep dives on a subject and is the authoritative source on it. Yeah. Atomic Habits is simply about habits, but it is a masterful uh, education on mastering habits, and therefore it's the authoritative book. Yeah. Love it. Love it. Um, that's a cool alternative to an R&E. So let's, let's continue. So back to the process. We yeah. read it. We've collected reader feedback. Yeah. We also read three-star reviews. Which are usually the reasonable reviews, yeah. where people liked it, but something wasn't working, and that way you can see, okay, what do we? What are some commonalities and patterns in these three stars? I will tell you the reviews you can throw out immediately, which are usually the one stars, are 
Uh, this book could have been condensed to a simple blog post or a long I blog post. I have to tell you something. Yeah. I got, I got my first one star. Hey, congratulations. I'm so excited. Is it like a good one? Is it a total? Oh, my God. I, I don't even, I they for sure, <laughs> they for sure <laughs> didn't get it. Yeah. Absolutely didn't get it at all. What did they say? Do you remember? Um, that I was just, I didn't have anything useful. <laughs> That's amazing. And they didn't get my call to greatness at the end about what was even the point of it. And it's probably what people people come to me crying over that call to greatness. I take no offense. I was excited. I mentioned it to Laura Stone and I said, did you see that one star? She was, I think, afraid to even point it out to oh me. Oh, my God. Like, no, They're it's good. They're because I was getting so many five stars that people start thinking this happens with your books. Uh, and even he even mentioned it in the one star well, clearly, she just has all these raving fans that are deluded. And yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't have control over that. I love it. I was like, yes, finally. I love it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you need to get that one star. And do um, has any of your fans actually responded to that? Okay, so I said nothing. Yeah, you like, don't. Don't send the troops, everybody. Yeah. I'll make, I will say one time, I did get, before my book came out, I probably shouldn't say this on here. Yeah, say it. Really? Yeah. With the no story. one knows this. Yeah, say it. That's the, what's so juicy. Now you have a cliffhanger. Okay. You are really concerned. Oh, and I'm really worried. I don't know. All right, skip it. No, All right, I'll it. tell you. <laughs> yes. Okay. Before my book came out, yeah, or right when it came out, I can't remember the timing, someone left a one-star review on Barnes & Noble. Okay. And... This was egregious. This was like oh. saying, accusing me of being just this like charlatan type person. <laughs> I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? Yeah. Um, and I had a feeling it was someone who knows me. Oh, someone through your network. Yeah. Mm-hmm, who's mad. Yeah. And I had a feeling it was someone who knew it would stick because here's his little trick. No one, hardly anyone leaves reviews on Barnes and Noble. Yeah. You go to your Amazon page, you got a lot of reviews. Yeah, they get buried. You go to Barnes and Noble, it's like you could have I bet you should if you check after this podcast, you'll see almost no reviews. Yeah. Except for, for this big, one star. For your big no, for your big books, Mike. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I know. No one know. checks it there. No I one know. cares. Yeah. It was someone who knew if they put it there, it would stay. Oh, dirty. 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 So I did actually mention that to my community. But not to have them rally, yeah, yeah, just yeah. to say, hey, you know, when this happens, here's what you can do yeah. to serve my authors. Well, my authors are super protective of me. Yeah, yeah. So they were like, we're going, pitchforks, yeah. torches. So it's buried now, Yeah. right? Whatever, it's fine. It's not true about me. It's okay. I. But I was like, oh, this person knows me. This is like an attack. So not because none of it's true, but just like got me in all the ways that it would really be like, that's the opposite of me. I always feel so sorry for people like that, that attack to attack. It just shows that they don't have a self-confidence in themselves. They try to pull someone else down as opposed to And I could be up. wrong, just so you know. Oh, uh, yeah, who knows? Who knows? I don't know. But anyway, whatever. The point being, oh, I can't believe I shared that story. It was a great story. You think so? Yeah. All right, everybody's gonna go looking for it now. <laughs> I'm probably amplifying it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She is a charlatan. It's true. But I, 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 you need to have, you know, accept the fact that people aren't always gonna get you. Correct. And you shouldn't assemble anybody. You should not be like everybody go. No. You should just let it be and no. let it live and don't and actually do not respond at all. 
Okay, so I want to give the counterpoint, and we we did do an episode about ratings. Do not respond at all, or respond, but respond professionally and um, from your own uh, perspective. So saying, hey, um, this I saw Gary Vaynerchuk do this, and I was very impressed. Someone gave him a one star and said, hey, first of all, this hurts. Um, Secondly, um, I appreciate honesty and candor, but I also don't think you actually read my book or whatever. He said, this is my interpretation because of this point. So just went through the points. And it's like, wow, here's an author responding, saying their emotion about it, it hurts, but then also being very integral in the response. I was pretty impressed. So you were impressed as an author, but I'm going to tell you a counterpoint. I'm, yeah. You and I are going to be opposite. Yeah, I like this. this. I like this. Okay, I left a one star on Barnes and Nobles. Do you want to know the truth? No, it, was, it, was it was me. It was me. It was me. What's, what's your counterpoint? Do not mess with reviewers. Yeah. Reviews are not for authors. We think they are because we check them all the time. Reviews are for readers. For sure. Leave it alone. I've seen too many people who even want the measured response like the one you're sharing. Yeah, yeah. Then ended up with a bunch of one stars from other other reviewers. Oh, interesting. Because they rallied their troops to come in and just attack. They call it badly behaving authors. Yeah. So you got to just, it hurts sometimes, but you just got to leave it. Yeah. You just got to let it go. You know, a, a technique Seth Godin uses that he's, he's shared is uh, he doesn't read any of his reviews. And his reason is he said, I'm never going to write the book again. That was his justification. Interesting. I don't know. I think if you're going to read the, write another book, it's good to know. Yeah, I agree. I agree. But that's just his justification. But he can. He can. He can. All right, let's continue our process here. We, so, we went off the rails. In a good way. In a good way. So, um, read the three-star reviews. What needs to be streamlined or improved? That's, I think, what, that's what we did next. What do we need to f- make better? Exactly. And I think part of that is is cutting, is saying, you know, what does not need to be included, too, as part of the streamlining. But I think first, what's the what are the frameworks or processes that need to be streamlined? Yep, yep. At the end of the day, in a prescriptive book, can we get the uh, reader to the core promise, the, the promise, more efficiently, more effectively, with less effort or uh, less pain. So I have this formula we use, the S times, I can't remember, uh, oh my God. I ha- uh, it's the simplicity, the ease of implementation, uh, and the size of the outcome. So maybe it's S times E times O. I can't remember the thing. But basically, the simpler it is to do, the less effort is required to do it, and the greater the impact, mm-hmm. the more people want to consume it. So. Yeah. And then you have to consider what needs to be updated, as we talked about before. What's just out of date? Yep. Um, and then you get to uh, also think about inappropriate content. This is really a topic that's near and dear to my heart. Yeah. Sometimes you use language unintentionally that can be offensive or hurtful to people. Language evolves. Sure. It's not a bad thing. It's always evolved. Yep. It's not new. Yeah. It's not a new thing to be respectful of how people feel or that langu- words change. That's not, it's always changing. Yeah. Um, so there's content that you know, might want to say, you know what, I regret that I used that term. I didn't know better at the time. Yeah. Let me fix that. And I think that's an important part of an update. That's great. I've been reading some books, some historical books, and you know, they can go back as short as 50 years ago or longer. And it's like, oh, my God, I can't believe they said that. Yeah. So we have the same opportunity to update our books. Um, what about uh, clockwork? Uh, is there anything after we finish the revised and expanded edition 
anything you're not content well, with? Well, that's or? the other thing is uh, what I also, in our process, we also look at what are the things we wish we could have, in retrospect, in hindsight, yeah. Yeah. we could have changed. From you, in Profit First, you mentioned earlier it was that advanced yeah. system. For me, in Clockwork, we have this had the call to greatness, which is the close at the end. And it's a specific way that I write closes. Yeah. And I, it just wasn't the greatest. Yeah. I didn't love it. I wanted to update it and change it. And we I can't, did. actually, I don't even remember the original close. Because it wasn't the greatest. Oh, okay. It just do you remember what it was? You do. I can't even recall exactly the story right now, which is part of the problem. I remember the close. It said, No. I'm, uh, my name's AJ Harper. I'm writing this with Mike. Someone gave me a one star in Barnes and Nobles. That's bullshit. That was your. Okay, now we have to cut that part out of this podcast. Because <laughs> no, I really don't care about I it. I know. I know you don't. Uh, but The I, new Clockwork Close is phenomenal. It's phenomenal. And it was down to the studs, complete rewrite. Yeah. Lynn Manuel Miranda, um, his transformation through a four week vacation. How did you. You're, you're the one who found that story. I remember a, a call or a text or something at you know some crazy ass hour saying I got it, and then was, and then you said it, and it's hot and I was like okay this is gonna be amazing. <laughs> uh, it took me a long time to find it. We were almost done. It was just hovering there. We were almost done and ready to turn in, and I still didn't have a story, and just it just clicked for me. Yeah, I just remembered hearing this story about how Lin Manuel Miranda went on vacation after In the Heights, and in between In the Heights. So In the Heights was his first breakout musical. Yep. Before it moved to Broadway, he went on vacation. And during that time, uh, during that vacation, he brought along this Mongo biography <laughs> of Alexander Hamilton. Yeah. And it was on that vacation that he got the idea, who would think of that, to do a musical about Hamilton. Yeah. But it, the reason I picked the story is because it shows that a four-week vacation or just whatever vacation from your business, truly gone, not yeah. laptop kind of vacation. He was in a hammock reading it. Yes. In, you know, palm trees and stuff. Can open your mind to opportunities and ideas that you actually are closed off from because you're so busy in the grind. It was the perfect story, but I hadn't thought of it before that. Yeah. Um, and that called greatness is calling the reader to a higher purpose than when they come in. In Clockwork, they come in with wanting to free up their time and stop drowning and run their business better. And they can't think about getting a big idea like Hamilton. Yes. By the end of the book, they can. They can see, oh, wait. <laughs> it's not just about not drowning. It's about maybe discovering the coolest thing I'll ever do Yeah. while I'm on vacation because I freed up my brain and allowed it to do what it does, which he would never have come up with it if he had not been allowed time to just detach, read something, and free float for a while. So that was the, that was it. I was so thrilled to be able to switch, swap that out. I thought there was another opportunity that I didn't share yet that I thought was cool we did with Clockwork. And it's the only time we've ever done it is have a forward. And in this case, it was Gina oh, Wickman. Yeah. A piece of feedback we got often on Clockwork was, how is this different than traction? Or how do I work this with traction? In what sequence? Do I do Clockwork first or traction first? Traction, if you're not familiar with that book, is the authoritative book for uh, mid-sized small business on on being about efficiency and and uh, having the business run on automatic. So I called Gino and asked him if he'd do. He said absolutely, and uh, he wrote this this forward. And in his words, he shows how Clockwork 
precedes traction based upon the size of business you have. And uh, he wrote another book for the, the day you start a business called The Entrepreneurial Leap. And he's put, he shows that Clockwork's kind of the bridge between his two pieces of work. Well, what's powerful now as the book sells and as we provide our services, there isn't this, is it traction or is it clockwork? Oh, we see how they work collectively. So it's been a powerful positioning tool. I think it's served Gino too. It's absolutely served us. Yeah, that's a great point. So then we also look to see how can we update the stories. And a lot of authors don't realize they can go back to their original stories and get an update from them. Yeah. What's different now? What else has happened now? And we were surprised to hear some really good news from folks, especially with Profit First. For sure. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, so new stories, social proof. Um, th- I'm just wondering if there's anything else uh, in that space that we got new stuff. Uh, well, new stuff and updates to old stories. Yeah. but I'm, Oh, you know what? This is what came to mind. Is I also found, because we have multiple titles, that some readers were now bridging books. Like they were implementing parts of Clockwork and it was serving them in Profit First and that helped them through with the Pumpkin Plan. And so now the books can be a little more cohesive. Yeah. Cause we, and we started bridging people in multiple books. Like I can't think of a name now. but Cindy Thomason. Cindy Thomason. Maybe Andrew Borg now has been in a couple. But you see these names just pop up. Jose and Jorge. Oh, yeah. They're mm-hmm. in a lot of books. They are. I'm tr- I tried to reach out to them recently. I haven't heard from them. Oh, you know who else? Who? Um, what's his name? He does the sheets. Paul Scheider. Paul, oh, Paul Scheider. Yeah, he's great. He's he's a, he's a frequent frequent guest. Frequent guest, yeah. <laughs> so uh, you can do that too. Uh, let's talk about marketing. A yeah, I mean, edition. how do you market a second edition? You launch it in part like it's a new book, but you use the momentum of the past. I think for us, the easiest way to build a street team is with a revised and expanded edition because now you have people that have experienced it. So instead of just reaching out saying, I have a new book, who wants to support it? I say, I have a new book, a new version of an existing book. Who's had success with it? And when you hear these hands raised saying, hey, would you be interested in becoming part of the street team and helping me promote the word? So they have some more enthusiasm, I found. That's key. Um, On the downside is it's not a new book. So it's kind of hard. It can be hard to say uh, there's a brand new book out for me and build this enthusiasm around the unknown. Tell us about the new release. What's this? What's this new movie going to be like? But what is interesting is um, if, and I'm very deliberate about this. If you document all the updates, now you show how it's new. So we create usually one sheet that says, uh, "Profit First before had two systems, basic and advanced. Now it has a singular system. You get results thirty mm. percent faster. Um, new ways to handle tax, and we listed all these bullet points. I was surprised and quickly adapted or adopted." I guess adapted to it, that people, uh, when they heard their new book was coming out, they said, oh, I don't know if I'm going to need that. And they asked me, how's it different? Mm-hmm. And having this one sheet was a big deal in marketing. That's great. Yeah. 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 But do you invest as m- many resources in the launch of the second edition as you would in a brand new book? We have not. And I don't know if that's that's not a smart thing. And maybe that hurt clockwork, too. You know, you know a launch is a big deal because – that first group that purchased the books on their own accord, you, you motivated them through your marketing. If they enjoy the book, they're going to be the, the word-of-mouth folks. They're going to start that cascade effect. In Clockwork, we, we didn't make that big push. We sold thousands of new copies, but not tens of thousands of new copies of the launch. That's a big difference. Yeah, that's a big difference. So I want to say the jury's out a little bit, but uh, honestly, it's, 
in self-reflection right now, it's got to be treated like a new book launch. And we haven't done that. We, we did with Profit First. We didn't do the well, clockwork. Now, yeah. now I'm wondering, oh, maybe maybe this oh. is the difference. Maybe this is the difference. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're yeah, realizing a lot of things on yeah. this episode. Yeah. Well, gosh, I got our cloning clients. We got to work on that. Cloning clients. Yeah. So we better get out of here. We got books to, <laughs> <laughs> books to work on. Um, hey, I want to remind you, our dear friends, to visit our website, DWTB. Don't write that book. Podcast.com. So go to DWTBpodcast.com. We have free materials for you. We'd be honored if you joined our email list. We'll share some current, up-to-date stuff, new releases, stuff you can't get on the podcast. Additionally, we want to hear your stories. So uh, share those with us by emailing me and AJ at hello at dwtbpodcast.com. The last thing is, uh, in addition to thanking you for listening to the episode, I just want to remind you, don't write that book. Write this one.